This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Various media reports have one of the elements of the proposed GOP tax plan reform plan being a review of 401k retirement plans. The suggestion is that the White House wants to lower the amount that can be contributed, the cap. President Trump has denied this claim. So for the purposes of understanding this better, we're going to take a look at this in a what-if scenario. What would be the impact of such a move? We asked that of Wharton Professor Olivia Mitchell, who's director of the Center on Pensions and Retirement research, and also by Mark Erie, who is visiting scholar here at Wharton. He is also a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution, as well as a former deputy assistant secretary for retirement and health policy within the Treasury Department. Olivia, as always, great seeing you. Thanks for having me here. Thank you, Mark. Great to have you with us as well. Glad to be with you. Thank you. I mean, we were just talking about this before we went on the air. It seems to be very much up in the air at this point. But as you're hearing the stories, Olivia, what's your reaction? Well, what we know is that the um, Trump administration's tax reform plan needs to have some pay-fors. That is, it needs to raise some revenue to be able to cut taxes and reduce the number of tax brackets and, and cut the corporate tax and so on. And so the um, the gem out there that many people are eager to get their hands on is the money that is currently not taxed yep. because people put contributions into their 401k plans. One of the important points to mention, though, is that later that money will be taxed. And so to the extent that the Congress is just looking at a 10-year window when doing its tallies on how much tax revenue will be brought in, they're really ignoring the fact that people would have paid taxes anyway on 401ks later when when they went into retirement. So it's just to bring forward. It's yeah. it's more a gimmick than anything. Mark, what's your reaction? Uh, exactly as Olivia says. And uh, the point here is that they're not actually looking to cap contributions to 401k plans uh, under the proposals we've seen so far. They're looking to cap the pre-tax contributions, the contributions that give you a tax advantage when you make the contribution rather than when you withdraw, and instead require contributions above that cap to be uh, so-called Roth-type contributions, as Olivia described. That's the nature of the change, and it is a gimmick. Uh, As Olivia says, you're simply taking advantage of the 10-year budget window that screens out effects that occur uh, beyond 10 years. One of the interesting things to this is also this concept of a Roth 401k. We talk about Roth IRAs all the time, but the idea of a Roth 401k is something that I don't think a lot of people really understand that that is an option, and it's starting to come more into play. Correct, Olivia? Well, a few companies have started to offer both. That is, right. if you want the conventional approach where you put in pre-tax money, earn the investment returns pre-tax, and then pay out income tax when you get the money in retirement, sometimes, com- sometimes companies will also offer the Roth 401k as an option where you can put in money after tax. And my sense is that younger people who believe they're in a low tax bracket early in their lives kind of like the Roth notion because they'll put it in when they're in a low rate and then it will be non-taxable according to current rules when they retire. It may well be in a much higher rate. So having the option of both is certainly appealing. 
very few companies so far have put both on the plate, partly because it gets confusing. Yeah. People just don't, they're not very financially literate, and they don't really know what to do, and they just really want to be told a lot of the time. But I guess, Mark, the question is is that if we are seeing more uh, people that are in that millennial age bracket starting to use that, uh, are, are these people that are doing this because they feel it's a safer option, or it, you know, the, playing off of what Olivia said, do they feel that they have a little bit higher level level of understanding that maybe that maybe the baby boomer generation did. Well, it it is uh, advantageous potentially to diversify your potential tax treatment in much the same way that we typically would diversify our asset class investments. So it's a kind of you can think of it as a kind of analogy to modern portfolio theory in addition to wanting to diversify your categories of risk in choosing your investments, you could also decide that you want maybe some of your money to be in Roth rather than in traditional format because you're diversifying your exposure to the risk that tax rates will go up or go down in the future. And so, you know, some savvy folks are are spreading their bets a little bit with Roth for that purpose. The Roth by itself is not a a bad thing, right? Uh, but the potential use of the Roth to make it appear that the tax cuts would be paid for, uh, when in fact, as Olivia described very well at the outset, uh, you're not really changing the economic uh, uh, flow of uh, revenue. Uh, uh, gains to the government, you're just uh, taking them into account at an earlier time. So one thing that I would add to that is because of this 10-year window, the Rothification of current contributions would lead to more revenue up front. But what it doesn't solve is the fact that we're going to have a deficit that's going to be exploding after that 10-year window. And so I think that the potential for Rothifying all current uh, 401k contributions can actually lead to less growth and less certainty because it just kicks the can down the road. And then we really don't know what will be the future of tax rates and tax the future tax regime. Exactly. I mean, it makes it less likely, yeah. in effect, that the tax reform or tax cuts, depending on how the proposal comes out, is paid for, because this is a kind of illusory uh, pay-for instead of the uh, real uh, revenue offsets that uh, we should be having in order to make this whole proposal revenue neutral. Well, and I guess that is the bigger question here, Mark, and that's the one that a lot of people don't uh, seem to be able to find an answer. And part of that is because we don't really have all of the details of what tax reform would be, is the bigger question of can we get eventually to a program or to a system where any kind of tax reform would be revenue neutral? Well, I think that it's, uh, it is possible, and uh, you know, the Obama administration uh, and the uh, folks in Congress have put forward outlines that would uh, involve a revenue-neutral uh, form of tax reform. And by tax reform, I think both Olivia and I uh, mean something that really does broaden the base that eliminates um, many most of the special tax breaks in the system and allows rates to be reduced, business and 
individual rates both, but maintains the progressivity of the system and is paid for. Olivia? Yeah, I think that it is a whole package that's being at least mooted in the press. There's a big discussion of um, abolition of state and local tax deductions, which is supposed to increase revenues by $1.3 trillion. Um, that's real money that we're talking about. I mean, the problem is the administration's initial budget proposal would have added $1.5 trillion to the budget over the next 10 years. Currently, it's coming in at about $2.2 trillion more. So there really is an attempt to try to come up with revenue. But in terms of the little guy, in terms of you and I that might be saving for retirement in a Roth, versus a 401k plan. I think what's important is that if you believe you're going to be in the same tax bracket now when you're working versus later when you're in retirement, they're a wash because you either pay the tax now or pay the tax later, but you're not going to be richer in retirement one way or right. another. Right. And that's something that's not currently realized. If you do take a look at what some of the administration folks are saying, they're actually saying that they believe people will save more with a Roth. Right. Yeah. And I think that stems from some of the behavioral finance, behavioral economics rationales. If you um, are a saver that says, okay, I have a rule of thumb, I'm going to save 10% of every paycheck, no matter what, right. then if that paycheck is taxed before you save it, then you would end up consuming less right now and right. consuming more in retirement. So it's at least hypothetically possible that the behavioral folks out there um, have a point. On the other hand, um, the only study that speaks to this was of a very, very early set of companies that adopted Roths, and they didn't find much difference. I'm just not convinced that that's strong evidence backing that. Point of Mark, view. Mark, I to I totally agree with with uh, what you're saying, Olivia. The study that suggests that people might just stick to their percentage of pay contribution, which really means that uh, if you're just going to keep contributing 10 percent of pay, your uh, available uh, purchasing power in retirement might be larger if part of that consists of Roth, because that part won't be taxed when you take it out. Uh, that was with voluntary Roth. Uh, that's employers that chose to include Roth in their plans mm -hmm. and employees who chose to uh, contribute part of their uh, savings in the form of Roth. What we're talking about in this potential tax reform proposal is mandatory uh, replacement of a part of the contribution allowance that people would normally have on a tax-favored traditional basis with Roth tax treatment instead. We don't know how the behavioral uh, uh, results will look once you do this on a, on a mandatory basis on a large scale uh, for all uh, 401k sponsors, and it could easily work the other way where people end up saying, my gosh, I don't understand all this complex tax treatment uh, very well at all. Right. All I know is that I'm hearing that they're cutting back on the tax treatment of 401ks. So maybe I'll just stop saving altogether or save less. Which which brings up a, a question, uh, Mark, that we've talked with Olivia about, and I get your opinion, is that, you know, 10 years out from the recession, and obviously a lot of people losing money uh, in their retirement accounts, uh, that's something that we don't need to see at this point. I mean, even though people have built some of that back up in that, in that last decade, we're still talking about people that are still trying to recover to a degree. 
That's right. That's absolutely true. If And then the other point that was raised at the beginning uh, by Dan was that there is some discussion about not converting all of the new contributions to Roth, but capping the amount yeah. that can be saved in a tax-qualified way. So currently workers... Um, can set aside up to $18,000 in pre-tax contributions yep. in their 401ks. And if you're age 50 and over, you can contribute up to $24,000. Um, the average contribution last year was about $6,000. So well over the talk, the the discussion of the limit that's been talked about, which is 2400 right. So if something like 80% of all 401k savers would be affected by this change. It's quite a dramatic change. Well, what what do you, what ends up being the impact to, to most of those savers if, you know, they're used to putting in $6,000 a year and they're only capped at 2400 Well, I believe that people will probably end up saving less for a couple reasons. One is that they would tend to take that lower cap as quote-unquote advice. Right. Since we know from financial literacy analysis that people really don't understand about saving for retirement, then they would tend to say, okay, the government says 2400 is the tax taxable qualification cap. That's where I'll go. The other problem is that employers might actually – um, match the accounts at a lower rate if those matches are right. not tax favored. And there's been some discussion of employers actually, smaller businesses, terminating their plans since a right. lot of the reason that they put them in place was to get the tax qualification. Right. So it's a complicated yeah. set of very heterogeneous outcomes, but I think on, on net, it's probably going to be to save less. Mark? I think that's a great explanation. I would just add that I think the employer contributions so far have been immune from uh, serious discussion of Rothification. In other words, the employer match would stay the way it is, but to Olivia's point, it could be that if there's a new cap imposed of the sort we're discussing on the pre-tax traditional contributions, uh, and a requirement that anything you contribute above that be Roth, that the result could be not only people keying their contributions just to that new cap and being uncertain what the tax treatment uh, or the meaning of larger contributions would be, so they'll just stick with the familiar uh, type up to whatever amount is allowed. But also, right. yes, employers might end up changing their match not because the law changed the tax treatment of the match, but because this is sort of changing the whole landscape in a way, and uh, employers might respond that way. I don't think, by the way, that we'll get a change in the employer treatment of the employer contributions themselves. And I also don't think, and this is just speculation, that we're at risk of or that there's a serious chance of complete Rothification. I think the sort of cap that we've been talking about is the type of proposal that sounds most likely, whether it's down as low as $2,400 or as high as the cap that uh, Chairman Camp of the Ways and Means Committee a few years ago proposed that was uh, more like $9,000, somewhere in that range, uh, they would raise a lot of revenue uh, ostensibly using this sort of gimmick. 
Your comments are welcome about 401Ks with Olivia Mitchell of the Wharton School and also with Mark Avery, who is a visiting scholar here at Wharton, also a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. One of the other interesting things playing off of that, as you mentioned, Olivia, is that if there is not a high level of savings because of this, that also tends to lead me to think it goes to something that the the White House and this administration have been trying to get anyway, is more spending by Americans in general, whether that be on items that they need for their homes, cars, whatever it might be. The, the It's another way to try and boost the economy to get closer to those growth numbers that, that obviously the White House has been talking about. Well, even though the public uh, presentation has been that people will save more with Rothification. It's quite possible people will save less. I kind of lean on that side. And if that's true, then it might actually provide at least a short-term boost right. to the economy. Right. But again, I'm very concerned that with growing federal deficits, nobody's really paying attention to the continued and threatening insolvency of Social Security and Medicare and what will have to be done to get those programs back into stability. We're just uh, ending up with a greater uncertainty about future tax regimes. And my my suggestion is that I think there's substantial political risk about what the tax rate will be on Roth accounts down the road. They tell you they won't be taxed, but there's going to be such a need for greater revenue that I think there's huge political risk there as well. Mark, is that a danger as well in your mind? Well, I think that there's an irony in the fact that – the shift to Roth that might be required under a Rothification proposal would put pressure on that exact point, Mm -hmm. uh, that people would then ask themselves, some people would ask themselves, do I trust the government to make good on its promise to give favorable tax treatment to Roth 20, 30, 40 years down the road? And I think a lot of people would say, yes, it would be uh, such a uh, – there's such reliance by people uh, on that uh, favorable tax treatment down the road that it would be uh, very, very unfortunate for the government to then pull the rug out from folks who relied on it and take away the tax treatment regard- – the favorable tax treatment years from now regarding amounts that people had previously saved. So it raises the stakes on that issue, and people who are totally skeptical of government might be the first ones Mm -hmm. to stop saving above the cap. People who have more trust that it would be, uh, in their view, outrageous to change the tax treatment of Roths once you forced people to save through Roths uh, would be the ones who would be more inclined to keep saving. Well, the broader question, too, Mark, I think you appreciate this, is that it may not be that those income streams out of Roth accounts are directly taxed, but certainly right. the income would be counted against you increasingly for all sorts of means-tested exactly. programs like right. Medicare and probably Social Security. I had one other point I wanted to make before we run short of time, which is just the complexity of having all these multiple accounts. I sure. started out yeah. uh, working at a different university, and a few years ago I decided to roll my money over from that 
that 401k, 403b plan to the current university. And it turned out that I had multiple accounts. One was an employer uh, basic contribution. One was an employer match. One was an employee pre-tax contribution. Huh. Turned out way back then I'd made employee after-tax contributions. And just huh. the whole headache of trying to figure out what the tax <laughs> status of yeah. all these was and how to roll them over turned out to be a nightmare. So I see this only getting great, the administrative complexity only getting greater. But again, it goes back to something we've discussed with you about, and you alluded to it before, is that generally the public doesn't have an extensive understanding of what is all involved in that. So it really does, it really does fall on the people that have these plans to talk to a professional, to talk to somebody that has a better understanding so they can understand what the potential pitfalls are on this. Absolutely right. And it's just kind of for someone like myself that works in this area, it's unimaginable that the layperson would be able to get it right. And so to a degree, then it also, Mark, it doesn't seem like one of the, the kind of topics that has been brought forth is kind of a simplification of the tax code. And, and it doesn't feel like that the potential of this change where 401ks are concerned doesn't necessarily simplify things. Am I right about that? Dan, uh, rothification, as you suggest, is complexification uh, <laughs> of the 401k right. system. Right. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. We are in studio with Wharton Professor Olivia Mitchell and on the phone with Mark Avery, who's a visiting scholar here at Wharton. He's also a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. It is just to me, I mean, it, you know, it is staggering that we're in, in a situation where we have the potential of this being even more convoluted than we're already talking about. Well, I'm reminded of a country where I've done a fair amount of work, which is Australia. And there they have an even more complex layer upon layer set of rules so that every time a new government comes in, they change the tax treatment of the contribution, of the investments, of the payouts. And every dollar is vintaged according to the tax law at the time when you put it in. Right. So as a consequence, it's even much more complicated than anything we're thinking about. And it results in full employment for financial advisors because sure. no mere yeah. mortal can manage his or her retirement account on his own. And I think that's really um, a, a, cut, a haircut off the top that's going to end up producing lower retirement wealth. Mark, I know you have to run uh, just a final comment on this and, and the impact potentially of this. Yes, I, I think we need to be very cautious. Uh, obviously, we need to give the Congress the benefit of the doubt in terms of what they're actually going to propose. Uh, the language has been circulating for about uh, five or six days now uh, of the actual tax reform bill as it was uh, uh, at this time last week. Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, but um, they've they've got something down on paper. It remains to be seen, though, what they actually uh, issue as uh, as the proposal. And so I think we ought to keep our powder dry. But we ought to be very cautious about this kind of uh, rothification, complexification initiative. Mark, thanks very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Olivia, final comment by you. 
I, I wish the administration and Congress the best, but I fear that instead of simplification, we're going the wrong direction. Great having you here again. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks, Olivia. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.